Hey guys, thank you so much for taking some time to listen to our Revive podcast. Man, I'm so glad that you have taken the opportunity to join us in studying God's Word and talk about how we can apply it in our lives. We would love for you to join us if you're able in person. For more information about when we meet, visit fhrevive.com. But hey, let's go ahead and get right into this week's lesson. God, thank you um, that all my lovely friends are here and we can have conversations about what you're doing um, and we can laugh about roller coasters. But God, I think you have a special message for us today about anxiety, one that we need to hear, one that our heart needs to hear, one that is meant to give us hope. Um, God, will you allow the things that we need to hear today to be practical and understandable and the words that I say be comprehensible. And Lord, we just invite you into this room. We know you're already here, and we're grateful that your presence is with us. Um, and that's, we can't overestimate how incredible it is. God, thank you that you're with us. In your name, amen. So let's do a God and Anxiety, week four. We've already, this is our fourth time on this, so I'm excited. Uh, we've got this lesson, then plus two more, and then we'll wrap it up on anxiety. So we are officially halfway right now. Um, so... Let's talk a little bit about anxiety. This is a little bit of review to just get us back up to speed. We talked about in the first few weeks that God never intended for our lives to be ruled and reigned by anxiety. He never intended that we would let anxiety control us, but rather he in- intended for us to live the abundant life that he talks about in John 10, 10. There, if you've been around me enough, there's like 10 verses I quote all the time and you'll eventually just learn them because you've heard me say them a bunch. But John 10, 10 is one of the major ones. And it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I've come so you might have life, have it abundantly, right? So the abundant life that Jesus is talking about is a life full of control of so many things. One of those things we talked about was anxiety. And but the cool part is that God has given us a ton of different tools of how we can combat the anxiety in our life. And so we've said that as we deal into what God says about anxiety and as we kind of look at anxiety holistically, that it's not something we can just sit here and all of a sudden be cured from, Right? that there's required a lot of hard work on our behalf to stand up and to fight against the anxiety in our life. We talked about some of those major tools that we used. And we said the spiritual disciplines, or aka spiritual practices, are our biggest tool to, in fighting anxiety. That's what we talked about. We said that if, if we do not ground ourselves in those practices, and we just try to do um, kind of some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, we're missing the underlying foundation by which we can actually fight our battles. And that this is the biggest way we can do it. It's our biggest weapon. And we choose not to use it if we forgo the spiritual practices. So last week, we did a very extensive yet very brief uh, crash course on spiritual practices. And I just want to say, I know I threw a lot at you last week. And I just want to thank you for taking it in stride. My hope was that you gained one or two things you've been interested in implementing into your life. If you have a lot of questions about how to do those things, this is a moment where you can actually ask me, like you can come up to me later and say, how do I practice meditation? How do I practice solitude? What does this actually look like? And we can talk through real practicals of that. But if you have questions about that, don't be afraid. You can come talk to me. But we talked about spiritual practices and all about that. And we looked at John 15. And John 15 is all about abiding. You remember this? And he says that, If anyone remains in me and I in them, he is the one that bears much fruit. If anyone abides with me and I in him, he's the one that bears much fruit. God says, if you want to bear fruit in your life, you have to be in close proximity in relationship with me. That's what God's saying. 
You have to be in relationship with me. And so the only way that we bear good fruit is by abiding. So therefore, the only way that we begin to free ourselves from the control that anxiety has in our life is by abiding. And so we saw that abiding was a key, key, key part of our, our weapon of our fight. And that's why we talk so much about spiritual practices. You guys remember all this? It's making sense. We're tracking. If you have questions about any of that, I would say, hey, we have a podcast and you can go listen to it. Uh, it's on Spotify, all that fun stuff. Just running us revive. Uh, you can kind of get caught up. Um, you like that. <laughs> Sorry, I heard that. All right. Um, that's what it sounds like when I type. <laughs> Not click, 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 click. All right. Now, today we're going to bridge scripture and psychology, which is an interesting day because I want to make this very clear up front. I'm not at all trying to tell you that I'm a master of psychology, but rather a student with you in the midst of this process. Everything that I'm presenting is something that I'm still in the process of learning, but something that God has highlighted and shown in me in my, during my times of study that I think can be very helpful and practical and useful for you guys today. So we're going to merge scripture and psychology. And I just want to say those two are not meant to be enemies. And there is a beautiful world where those two work together. I just want to say that first and foremost. And so we've talked about anxiety in our life. And I just want to say today, today, we're going to get a little psychological. Let's go back to the power of the mind. Y'all remember the first week I gave out that handout. I had all these verses about the power of the mind. And the bottom line was that you can change the way you think. And we said that scripture actually shows us. Y'all remember this? Scripture shows us that we can change the way you think and that we have a responsibility to begin to actually walk in that method. Over and over and over again, Paul would say, begin to think about these things. He would say, you, set your mind on Christ. He would say, have this mind among yourselves. He's saying, control the way you think. You are actually given the power of how you think, which is interesting because sometimes we just think, God, make my mind think this way but we we don't actually step into that active process of beginning to think a certain way. Does this make sense? So today we're going to look at Philippians 4. If you all have a copy of Scripture, go ahead and go there. We're going to spend about 30% of our time in Philippians, maybe 40%, and then 60% of our time on some psychological uh, things that I've learned. Philippians 4. Okay, so Paul's talking... He is finishing up his letter. Remember, these are all letters. He sat down. He wrote them to the church that he had already been a part of. And he's encouraging them. He's instructing. He's giving spiritual teaching. He's not trying to give a theological exposition about all things that he knows. He's rather just writing a letter to an individual group of people, right? So this is the framework. There are real people in his mind when he's writing this. Here's what he says in verse 4. He's finishing up the letter. He literally had just told them, hey, this lady's coming. Make sure you take care of her, right? This is like you're talking to the people you care about. And in verse 4, he says this. We're going to read through 9. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
This is one of the verses in Scripture that has the do not be anxious phrase. I want to tell you why I was hesitant to pull these out in the first half of our, the first three weeks of our lessons. Because if I just say, if I just begin to quote Scripture to you in the midst of your anxiety, and I said, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Thank you. That may not actually be helpful for you because you already know you're not supposed to be anxious, right? None of us are saying anxiety is a great thing. I love that it's here. No. We already understand we're not supposed to be anxious. So we have to be careful about how we use these verses. Period. Next thought. Those verses are powerful and we should let them work in our life. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to look at one today. Now, I want you to kind of check this out. It seems that this passage is centered around action, right? Paul is saying a bunch of action. Look at the, look at, look at, look, put your head down. Look at the passage. Do you see action words in there? Rejoice. Don't be anxious. Pray. Think. God's near. What I love is that this, this passage is centered around action. He's calling the, the believers in Philippi to a bunch of different actions. And I wonder, if can you see a flow of the things we've talked about in the last few weeks? In verse 4, it says, the Lord is at hand. We talked about the Lord is near to his people. That the only way that we bear fruit in our life is being near to the Father. The Lord's at hand. Okay. He says, do not be anxious. We've talked about that a little bit. <laughs> he says, in everything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Prayer, praying. Thanking God, making our requests known to God. These are also called spiritual practices. Okay? The spiritual practices are ingrained in there. And then you see it over and over and over again. He talks about the peace of, the, the peace of God. In verse 8, he says, here's a list of things to think about. I literally quoted this verse the very first Sunday. So we've been, we're actually familiar with these concepts. Okay? These are all themes that we're used to. Let's look at it a little closer. Prayer, thanksgiving, and supplication. You know, these are spiritual practices that align our hearts in God to respond to Him. We've said this, I need to say this again and again and again. The goal is never to be good at spiritual practices. The goal is to use spiritual practices to put you in a position to interact with God. That is what we're excited about. Interacting with God. Not getting better at prayer. Not getting better at meditation. Not getting better at reading the Bible. But putting ourselves in a position to interact with God. And he says that we're supposed to use prayer, supplication, uh, and thanksgiving. But then he gives this really interesting thought. But he says, what you can see in this is that through these practices, our mind, because he just said, do not be anxious about anything, right? That's what he just said. Don't be anxious about anything, but rather, through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus, Right? He says, don't be anxious, but rather, through the spiritual practices, let God know what's on your mind, and that God's peace now comes and guards our mind and our heart. Y'all see that? He says, don't be anxious. Use the spiritual practices. Let God know what's on your mind. And God's peace is actually going to come and guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I think when we use these spiritual practices, we're actually giving God space in our life. We're inviting him into the struggle of our life. We're actually beginning to thank him in the midst of that. He says thanksgiving, right? And so we're thanking God in the midst of it. And he says that, and this is, I missed this the first time. It says the peace of God guards our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When I first read that, I, 
I read, you guard your heart and mind. That's not what it says. He says that the peace of God will guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But just the next passage down, he says, you better start thinking about the right things. He says that, right? But at the same time, he says, but the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so that the way we think has to do with our actions and also God at the same time. I call it a group project, which I know everyone hates group projects, unless you're the person who loves them because you do all the work. But the mind is a group project here. Let's talk about the power of the mind. He says, Paul gives a descriptive list of things that we're to think about. And in that list, there's not really anything that's false on that list. There's no negative thinking. There's no false lies. We're going to talk about negative thinking today. We're going to try to break down things that we think are negative thoughts. You know, like you're sitting there and you're like, I'm an idiot. No, that's a negative thought. He says whatever's true, whatever's honorable, right? So Paul gives a very distinct list. I want to write these things down. Paul says to think about these things, all right? He says think, all right, remember what's the rule of this class? Don't make fun of my handwriting. All right, good. All right, so think about these things. Give me a list. What do you say? Whatever's what? True. Okay. Shout out to the first person who said it. All right. What else? Honorable. Honorable? Okay. Cutting you off, Caitlin. No more. What? Next. <laughs> what else he said? Excellent. Excellent. Do y'all think of like some surfer dude going, excellent. No, 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 just me? All right, cool. All right, excellent. All right, what else? Say it again. Lovely. You are just lovely. What else? Is there anything else? Pure. Pure. Made me get my steps in. All right. Pure. All right. What else? Commendable. Commend. Oh, that's a big one. Okay, hold on. I got this. Okay. Sound it out. All right. All right. Now what? Anything else? Praiseworthy. All right. Praise. If I could write emojis, I'd do the little like hands thing. I do. Praiseworthy. Anything else? Right. Things that are right. I love that. AKA not wrong. Okay. We're going to get to that in a second. We're going to get the wrong thoughts in a second. So, yeah, this is like rough hand. But do y'all see what God says we are to think about? He says, hey, you should think about things that are true. If it's false, that ain't it. We're going to get to that. Things that are excellent, things that are honorable, things that are lovely, pure. Things that are commendable, things that like have value. You should praise God. You think about things that are right. This is great. Now... This is where scripture and psychology are about to merge. Because this is actually very psychologically backed, and, and, and 100% people agree with this. And we just said, the Bible says that you have the power to change the way that you think. Right? We said that? Okay, so now I'm stepping over into the psychological realm that is actually backed by scripture. This isn't some crazy world, but this is backed by scripture. And we're going to talk a little bit about something called the four-step solution today. Now, let me, let me, can I break this down? Ready to break it down? All right. I'm just trying to have left. I'm doing good. So, the four-step solution. How many of y'all have ever experienced a thought in your head 
that was just not true. A negative thought, something that wasn't like this. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, so all of us, right? We've experienced that? Okay, good. So now we're all equal. So we've experienced thoughts. I'm not smart, and I'm just a loser, or man, you don't want to hang out with me because they'll realize how lame I am, or you don't, I'm not good enough for this job, or man, they really hate me for, I don't know why, but they hate me. Like, these are thoughts that can come into our mind and cripple us. I'm going to fail while I even try. These are called negative thoughts. These are thoughts that are very much a real and a part of our life. And even people who don't struggle with anxiety to a large extent still experience these lives and these lies that come into our mind. So the question becomes, all right, we talked about the battle existing in the mind. So how do we fight them? Well, we set the foundation of spiritual practices, but now you're in the moment. You're in the moment and you're sitting there and I'm a failure just comes over you. What, how, how, what do I do? I'm going to give you some ideas that psychology per- suggests are good steps that the Bible also agrees with. Okay? Tandem. Working well. All right. So here's the cool thing. What I've learned is that anxiety is a learned habit. Learned habit. I was trying to say behavior and habit, and the habit came out. All right. Anxiety is a learned habit. You remember how we we were diagramming body, soul, spirit, and I talked about the soul being our mind, will, emotions, and I said, when we are pushed, we, we always go back to what we know. We always go revert back to what we're comfortable with, even if it's not a great thing. Yeah, so this is going to be a little trippy. Let's roll with it. So in your brain... There are grooves in your brain, all right? Like imagine a little racetracks. And that your brain will think a certain way. And it has done it over and over and over again. You have a habitual way of thinking. And you have these grooves in your brain. And those negative thoughts are actually recurring. Now, this is the case of it being a recurring thought. You've thought this before. This isn't a new thought. You've thought this before. That thought is coming down that groove in your brain and is now triggering a response that you're familiar with and you're responding the same way every time because that's how the grooves are aligned in your brain. Does that make sense? So like when something happens, you respond the same way again and again and again because your brain has actually made grooves for it to respond that way. Okay? So... That's, this is, I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. So the four-step process is actually a way that helps us reshape the way that we think. Okay? There's this big phrase. It's called neuroplasticity. And it's the idea that you can actually change the way you think and actually can create new grooves by the which you change the way that you think. Some of y'all are like in all those classes and you understand all this stuff a little better than me. Like I said, I'm a student with you. But... So there's a way for you to change the way you think. That's all I'm saying. So what are the four steps? Okay. I want us to kind of look at this real quick. Uh, I say quick. I just want to go through it. I'm going to list them all, and then we're going to talk through them. Um, the first, so step one is you have to relabel. Okay? Uh, so I'll give you all a chance to like write down these steps as I go, and then I'm going to go back later in just a second and kind of give you more details to them. Step one is you want to relabel. Step two, you need to reframe. Step three you need, is you need to refocus. And step four means you need to reevaluate. Relabel, reframe, refocus, reevaluate. 
Let's talk a little bit about relabeling. Psychology tells us that our thoughts can be deceptive. So deceptive that it actually have no connection to reality. We're just thinking something. It's not in any way tied to what's actually going on, but we're thinking that. Those are negative thoughts. One of the things that we have to begin to do, because this is relabeling, right? You have to label negative thoughts as false brain habits that are triggered by a brain groove in your head. Not that they aren't real. Like that's a real thought, but that thought is false. It's not true. So it can be real and false at the same time, okay? Call these thoughts what they really are. So the repetition of habits actually creates a deeper brain groove. So like if you've done something five times, it's this thick. And then if if you do something like 25 times, you've actually created a deeper groove. So in other words, you have a deeper habit forming process for this. So we have to relabel what this is. I want to give you a tip. In the midst of relabeling our negative thoughts, so a thought comes in, we have to label it. Okay. Now in the midst of that, Here's where I'm going to blend the two. You always want to invite the Lord into the introspection of your life. When you're doing introspection, trying to understand what's going on inside your head, invite the Lord to that. Psalm 139, the last two verses of it, these are great for memory. Here's what the psalmist David says. He says, search me, O God, and know my anxious heart. He says, try me and know if there's any grievous thoughts in me. And he says, and then lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, God, search me, do this with me, help me understand my anxiety, help me understand the thoughts in my head that aren't true. That sounds a lot like what we're just talking about with psychology, doesn't it? And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 1611 says that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says that that everlasting life that he's talking about in Psalm 139, when he says, lead me in your way everlasting, that everlasting way is what Psalm 1611 says, being in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. So lead me into your presence, God. Search me, know my heart, know my thoughts, show me what's not real, lead me into a deeper relationship with you. All right, so if this is the case, and we're asking the Lord to do this in our life, we have to form new habits that help us create new grooves that will help us eventually replace the, uh, the negative self-talk and anxiety in our life. So this way everlasting, this fullness of joy, all of these moments is a part of something called a re- reframing process, which we're about to get to in step two. But the very first thing you have to do is we have to identify this is not true, this is not right. Okay, this makes sense? All right, step number two, reframing. Now, you, what you have to do is you have to take the power out of your thoughts. So we give our thoughts power. And we actually have to take the power out of our thoughts. We have to begin to know that it does not have power in our life. How do we do that? You reframe it. You have to label it something. You have to call it by a name. And therefore, this is actually shown that there's a popular thought. Let me back that up. It's a popular thought that when we begin to put a name and a label to something, that loses power in our life. Okay? Like it's not this unknown mystical thing. We can call it for what it is and it loses power. So what is that? Reframing. You know, you always want to invite the Holy Spirit into this. And you can label this. Let me give you 10 distorted thinking traps. All right, so these are 
These are things that we can label our thoughts in. Those negative thoughts that come to us. Okay? That's what this is gonna be practical, and this is good in the moment. So what you want to understand are what are these 10 things and, and can I begin to label these in my mind? That's the process we're going through. Is it making sense? Are we tracking? Let me give you all 10. So we're going to go through these quickly, but let's go with it. The first thing is that it's all the all or nothing trap. The first two are rather simple, so I'm not going to kind of go over them too much. All or nothing trap is the first one. Your second one is an overgeneralization. You're just overgeneralizing everything. And that's what that negative thought is. The third one is like a mental filler. It's a mental filter. You pick a single negative detail in your life and you dwell on it. That's what a mental filter is. You take one thing that's negative in your life, dwell on it completely. And what we have to know that when we're doing that, that's just a mental filter. Let's begin to put a label on it. The fourth one is that we discount the positive. You kind of say, well, anyone could do what I did. It doesn't really matter. I'm not that great. Anyone can kind of do whatever I did. It's whatever. The fifth one is that you jump to conclusion or mind reading. Obviously, we never do that. But when our brain does that in our mind, you know, you assume others don't like you and that things will turn out badly. Like you just, you jump to that conclusion. People don't like me. This is going to go horrible. I'm not going to do that. And I'd rather just stay home and watch Netflix. And so therefore, you don't put yourself in a position to succeed because you've given that negative thought in your mind power. Does this make sense? Okay. Magnification, number six. So you actually exaggerate your weaknesses or harmful aspects of events. So in doing that, you minimize your strengths or you say this harmful event actually won't happen as much as it case. Let me give you an example. This is a classic what if scenario. Well, like, well, what if the house catches on fire and then my dog's inside and like, you know, you begin to do all these what ifs in our brain and that's like a real toxic way of thinking when we get trapped in the what ifs. Or you you exaggerate your weakness, like there's no way I could, I could actually do this. I'm not good enough for this. How could I ever be able to accomplish this task I need to. There's no way I could give this speech. There's no way I could get take this job. There's no way I could l- learn how to be a spouse one day. Like these are the types of things, uh, these exaggeration statements. And then you have number seven, emotional reasoning. This is when you actually believe the world is how you feel it to be. When you actually believe the world is how you feel. Eight, you have an inappropriate should statements. I should avoid being around people because they'll see what kind of loser I really am. Inappropriate should statement. Nine, self-labeling. I made a mistake, therefore I'm a loser. That's what these types of thoughts are. I want to give you one more, and it's called self-blame. You blame yourself for events outside your control. Now look, those 10 things are not meant to be like, oh man, I suck. I related to all of this. No. What those two, those 10 things are saying, these are the traps that we can get our brain into. These are the grooves that can be in our brain. And here's the beauty of it. When you label it as something, you begin to lose its power. So I want us to use one as an example. Let's go back on the uh, self-labeling one. I said, I made a mistake, therefore I'm a loser. Okay, that's, let's just say that's the thought. You didn't do as good as something as you want, I'm, so I'm, I'm terrible, no one likes me. Let's just say that's the thought in your head. All right, it's a dramatic thought, but let's use it as an example, okay? Let's say you've had that thought before. What the four-step solution says is that you are actually 
worse off if you begin to sit and say, no, I'm not a loser. Here's why. And begin to begin to have like a talk with yourself when you actually walk through, here's why I'm not a loser. Because what you're actually doing is you're centering your mind around that thought more. As they say, um, yeah, we get that door. They say that one of the things that's actually the biggest way to, to change the groove in your life is to label it and then just dismiss that thought from your mind. Say, you are your self-labeling thought. I don't have time for you. And just to dismiss the thought from your life. Don't, don't even deal with it. It's not even worthy of your time. Just dismiss the thought from your life. And in doing that, you allow your brain not to get cut in these grooves, but allow your brain to go on to the third step. So when we have reoccurring negative thoughts, label them, dismiss them. Don't give them the time of day. That's where we get stuck. Don't give them the time of day, which seems a little counterintuitive because you might say, well, I actually need to think about things. Like I need to correct that thought in my head. If it is a, if it is a, uh, re- reoccurring thought. Studies show that. Just dismiss it. Step three, refocusing. We talked about neuroplasticity earlier, and that basically that says that we can change behaviors, ways of thinking, and habits in our brain, right? We can change the grooves that our brain has. So this is kind of cool, and I, I just kind of mentioned this a second ago, but in step three, I, I wrote this down because it's useful. So I want to read this. He says, so you say this to your thoughts. I know who you are. Like you're a false habit of thought that I can actually name and you have nothing to do with reality. I'm not going to waste my time on you. Goodbye. Like, like that's a very dramatic way of saying that. But like, I know who you are. You've got nothing to do with reality. I'm not going to waste my time on you. Let's just keep going. And what you've done in that place is you've freed yourself from the control of that thought. You've said you are not true. You have nothing to do with reality. I'm not even going to like tell you why you're wrong. I'm going to keep going on ahead. And then he says the next step is that you have to get into a flow. Now, a flow of life is just when you can preoccupy your mind with something else. This is easy. This could be anything. So let's break this down. You have a a negative thought. It intersects your life. Okay, what do I do about it? Well, let's realize that it's a, a, a negative thought. Let's call it what it really is. Let's say, I know what you are. You're not true. I don't have anything to do with you. And in that moment, I'm going to now take my brain and intentionally put it on something else. You're going to put it on things that are true, honorable, excellent, pure, praise, right. You're going to put it on those things and begin to just disarm that thought from your life. In doing so, here's an example of getting in flow. You can read a book. You can check emails. You could read a song. You could go play your guitar. You could play a video game. You could talk to a friend. You could go get lunch. You just do something else to take your mind because what you're doing, you're not avoiding it. I want to make this very clear. It sounds like you're just avoiding it. Oh, no, I'm scared of it. No, you're intentionally saying, I know that if I spend time thinking about this, I will create a habit and I will deepen the groove in my brain. So therefore, I'm going to step over here, not give it time of day, create a new habit and a new flow, and therefore weakening that power in my brain over time. Does that make sense? So you're not avoiding. You're intentionally stepping into another place. And step four is you reevaluate. Now, you have to know when to do this. Don't just jump into this five minutes after the fact. Come back to it and say, okay, I need to reevaluate. Did I, did I dismiss it? Did I label it correctly? And go from there. You're not looking to, once again, have that argument of, this is why I know this isn't true. No, no, no. 
Did I, did I dismiss it? I know it's not false. It ain't right. I'm going to get it out of my life. And did I get into a flow? Did I get my brain going again? Get the wheels turning. That's what you're looking at. And if you find that when you're evaluating, you're kind of just finding yourself going back to step one because that thought is still in your brain, go back into the flow. You're not, you're not running from your problem. You're forcefully addressing your problem. So I would say that you can change the way that you think. But here's what this is. Um, when learning to form new habits, I was reading this guy's thoughts and he said, you know, everyone says it takes 30 days to create a habit. Like that's what they say, right? And this guy was like, and that is not true. He said, it took, it took me months, months and months of taking these thoughts, taking a thought captive, saying you are not true, right? These are, you're not what God told me to think about. You're not what God told me to think about. I know who you are. And I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And then getting back into the flow and not allowing your brain to do that. We can change the way we think. but It will, it will take time. But the more you practice this, the better you become at it. And the idea of neuroplasticity is that you're actually creating new ways of doing things. So you're not running, but you're rather just instilling a new way of life. One that's not giving negative thoughts permission in your brain. Therefore, the anxiety that's controlling you, you're cutting off at the knees. Because you're saying, those anxious thoughts, those negative thoughts, I'm not giving you the time of day. This is not something that's in the clouds. This is something you're walking to campus, a negative thought comes to your mind, you deal with it in that moment and get into your flow. Like, this is not something that you can do once a week and therefore free yourself from anxiety. You do this three, four, five times a day. Like, this is a discipline, a habit that you can do if you want to really change the way that your brain thinks. I told you we want to look at this holistically, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, God's word says, think about things that are true. And so when things that aren't true come into your brain, you've got to know, what am I going to do? And, and you, in that moment, have to combat it. If you do not combat it, you will roll over and die and will be a slave to your anxiety. And I'm sorry, and that sounds a little rude, but I'm just trying to point the picture that this takes a daily discipline. Okay. So I want to I want to leave you with one other thought and then give you a little bit of homework. If, if you have a new thought that's negative, that you have never experienced before, uh Studies show that examining that thought, where is it coming from? Is it true in my life? If it's a new thought, is is a good thing. Because that's helpful the first or second time. It's harmful the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundredth time, right? One thousandth time. But if it's new, cutting it off at the knees from the beginning is helpful. Where does this come from? Why do I feel like this? Is there anything in my past that's triggered by this? And okay. Is it true or is it not true? That's helpful the first few times. Now, there's a fancy name for all of that. But know that if it's a recurring theme, you want, you want to begin to institute the four steps. So here's your homework. I'm going to blend kind of everything we've talked about in the first few weeks. I'm going to ask you to spend time meditating on Philippians 4, 4 through 9. That's five verses. Meditation. Read the text. God, what are you saying? Sit and listen. Read the text. Sit and listen. Listen to God. Give the God. Give God 
Give the Holy Spirit access in your life to speak to you. This is not, you're doing so bad. How dare you have anxiety thoughts? No. No, there are people who love the Lord immensely who deal with anxiety. This is just us stepping into it saying, no, we're going to actually deal with it. All right, so I'm going to put the word of God in my heart, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and I'm going to begin to step through your homework. Begin to institute the four-step process in your life. When those thoughts come into your life, label it as negative thought. Actually put a label on it. You are a what-if scenario that's not true. I'm not even going to give you the time of day. Dismiss it. Get back into your flow. Eventually come back and evaluate. This is going to take practice. But you can do it. Is this making sense? Okay. Okay. If you have more questions about that, there are, there's a lot of resources I can give you. Uh, but I want to pray for us and call it a day. Um, and we'll get on out of here. Cool? All right. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us the opportunity uh, to talk about anxiety and that we are not meant to be slaves to anxiety. God, when negative thoughts come into the brain of our students, God, may we find ourselves, uh, be able to label them, be able to recognize them as negative thoughts, dismiss them from our brain, and get into the flow, and rewrite new brain grooves by which we actually live our life. God, your word says that think about things that are true. Your word says that do not be anxious to anything, but that you're that you will guard our hearts and our minds. Your, your peace will guard our hearts and mind. Like you are in this battle with us. Uh, help us to see that, Lord. So Lord, we love you. And I just pray that for people who are really struggling with anxiety, um, that this would make sense and that they would begin to step out and just trust you in those daily, mundane, normal interactions with you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.